Hi there, and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex River, BTN.com, and we are back this week with another football-focused episode of the Take 10 Podcast, which we release every week of the college football season. In case you're not familiar with the format, BTN.com senior writer Tom Deanhart calls in, and he and I host a national college football analyst on the call as well, and the three of us chop it up and discuss what transpired in the previous week, weekend of college football and look ahead to the weekend that awaits. So generally, we release these episodes on Wednesdays this week. If you're listening to it the day it came out, obviously we couldn't get it out until Thursday, which shouldn't happen too often unless we uh, run into some scheduling restraints. So keep staying tuned for these episodes to drop on Wednesdays, and we'll continue to, to get some great guests. And we got another great guest this week. We got uh, Fox analyst Rob Stone to call in and join us. And Fox is deploying Rob right now for some World Cup preview uh, preview events in New York City. But he's also a college football and basketball analyst. So very uh, diverse re- repertoire under Rob's belt. And even though Tom and I had never met or spoken to Rob in our lives, we... All got along great and um, had a great discussion, and we're pretty much all best friends now. So you'll hear that chat here in a few moments, but I just want to also let everyone listening know that I also had a sit-down with BTN's in-house researcher and numbers guru, Harold Shelton, for a new segment called Stathead, which I'm going to be implementing to these football focus episodes. And I think that's definitely worth listening to as well, especially if you enjoy diving deep into the numbers week in and week out of college football. Harold knows how to find all the relevant stats and ones you might not have uh, realized were out there or were aware of. So definitely stick around for the entire episode because we got the chat with Rob and after that the shorter, much shorter discussion with Harold, which we'll be trying to do on this podcast every week. So before we get to those, I've got another prompt besides my normal reminder to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and Google Play, which, again, I encourage you to do. But I also want to tell you about the BTN Fan Shop on BTN.com. If you need any sort of gear or if you're heading to a game this fall, the BTN Shop has the hookup for every team. And this isn't your generic bookstore apparel either that I'm talking about here. They've got Nike. They've got Jordan gear for Michigan. You can get your Jumpman on. They got Under Armour for the uh, the UA schools like Wisconsin. They got Adidas for Nebraska. For every school, it's it's the top of the line team stuff, and and it's not limited to clothes either. If you want to deck out your dorm or your den or your fan cave, they've got team branded signs, blankets, decorations, you name it, whatever you want for all fourteen schools. And uh, you can get ten percent off your purchase with the promo code Take Ten for the Take Ten podcast. That's Take One Zero. Um, T-A-K-E, the number one, the number zero, again, to get 10% off your order. So head to btn.com and click the shop tab at the top of the screen and use that promo code. And before you know it, you'll be dripping in the Big Ten swag that you've always dreamed of, and your favorite team will win every game, I promise. All right, now uh, let's get to the show. Let's get to our discussion first with Tom Deanhart and Fox's Rob Stone. I'm excited to be joined, as always, by BTN.com senior writer Tom Deanhart calling in from down in Missouri. And once again, we're welcoming in the national guest this week. He is a college basketball, football, and football analyst for Fox Sports. But today we're going to have him <laughs> focus on the American football exclusively. It's Rob Stone. Rob, thanks for joining us. How's it going this morning? Hi, it's going great. Hanging out in New York. We're all over the place here covering college football. It's the, the beauty of the sport, right? Absolutely. Sounds good. Um, like I said, it's great to have you with us. And for all you social media mongers out there, follow Rob Stone on Twitter at Rob Stone on Fox. Rob, like you said, you're calling in from New York City where you are doing some uh, World Cup coverage at the moment, correct? Yeah, we had a big World Cup sales event uh, last night here in New York uh, just to kind of get everybody on the same page. And uh, our sales force was able to show off their their budget strength and, and uh, treat everybody to a good time and 
now it's time to, to swing quickly back to football. It's, it's an early start for the Big Ten this week with Nebraska-Illinois on, on Friday night and uh, two programs that um, are, are interesting right now. I guess we can kind of put it nicely. And, you know, if you're Nebraska, you're, what, four and six in the last ten games. Uh, but, but, Tom, I'm an optimist. They're on top of the West. They're 1-0. and uh, It's kind of that uh, mentality, I think, where they need to examine where they are right now and not the issues that they've had early on in the season. Yeah, Tom, what are your thoughts yeah, on uh, on Nebraska heading to Illinois this week? Can they get it done? Yeah, still a lot, a lot of questions. Obviously, like Rob alluded to, nobody needed to win more last week than Nebraska, given that tumultuous week coming off the Northern Illinois loss. In Lincoln, of course, he fired their athletic director, Sean Eichhorst, and, and the, the scrutiny is intensified on Mike Riley now. So, again, nice win for, for Rutgers, I mean, for, for Nebraska. I guess what you still worry about if you're a Nebraska fan is, I think, the offense. Um, you know, the defense had its struggles earlier in the year against Arkansas State and Oregon, but now the offense has had some struggles, a particular front on the offensive line. And, and guys, quarterback Tanner Lee leads the nation with nine interceptions so far this season. And I think they also need to get that running back, Trey Bryant, back in the lineup as soon as they can. And he got hurt a couple weeks ago. So, again, I'll be interested to see how the Nebraska offense continues to develop, guys. And, Alex, you remember this. What happened the last time Nebraska went to Champaign, Illinois? Yeah, I was, I was there for that. I was a student. And um, I'll be there again on Friday uh, at my alma mater, taking in the Nebraska-Illinois game. I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how Nebraska responds. Because, I mean, they they – they did beat Nebraska, but it wasn't the most impressive showing. So it will be uh, fascinating to see if they can uh, they can pull it off in Champaign. Uh, we'll get to so Alex. Yeah, Alex, let ahead. me ask you that: Who should your quarterback be? You know, Rob, I think um, it's tough. It depends on on the defensive line because you saw against. No, no, no. <laughs> who do you want your quarterback to be? You have one guy. <laughs> who is it? Just answer the question. All right, I, I would take Jeff George Jr. at this point over over Chase. Yeah, Bass. of course you are. He's the backup, and he's got a hell of a yeah. name. Damn straight, you want him your quarterback. He comes in slinging. I don't want Lovey calling him my relief hitter like he did this week. You know, I, I want him coming in uh, being what a Jeff George should be. He clearly has the DNA, and I'm sure he's got the DNA upstairs too. Uh, I think I think it's exactly the type of talent that that Illinois needs to get back on the map. Um, I, I know they started ten true freshmen last game, most in school history, most in the FBS this season. Um, but they've become irrelevant. Uh, they are not a talking point in college football these days. You know, there's 67 points scored this season, or worst in the Big Ten. They need something, and and I think the talent like Jeff George Jr. with the name. Uh, can do a lot for the fan base to to, to lift him back up and get him to three and one. He needs the mu- he needs the mustache though, right? Uh, right, Rob. <laughs> Got to have a mustache. Got to have a mustache. I, I probably just because I can't grow one. That I'm so jealous. And you know, I, I look at Coach Wanstaff's mustache every Saturday, mocking me. Uh, but yeah, how do you not like a guy who's in college swinging the rock with a mustache? <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, he needs to mow like his dad had. He needs to mow like his dad had in the late 80s. <laughs> the, the Arkansas waterfall. Well, well, you can take him down to Stillwater for that one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Um, we'll get into more uh, Week 5 action in a little bit here. First, I want to reflect on Week 4. Tom, let me get some initial impressions from you on what you saw in Week 4. It's obviously an exciting weekend with Iowa and Penn State. That was the headliner. But um, I guess what stood out to you about that game and anything else that jumped out at you from the past weekend's action? Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, all eyes were in Iowa City last weekend. Um, what a game. Well, what a sensational performance by Saquon Barkley and Penn State just to pull that one out of the fire. You're never going to get more high drama, obviously, than winning the game on the very last play. That's what Penn State did. Give Trace McSorley credit. Juan Johnson, great catch in the back of the end. Zone. But again, it was all about, again, Saquon Barkley. Clearly, guys, I don't think there's any argument. Is there? He's the number one Heisman contender. As we today, it's going to be hard to unseat, I think, if it continues to perform, obviously, at that level. But more importantly, uh, Penn State continues to validate itself as the best team in the Big Ten. Let's not kid ourselves. I know the, the non-conference wasn't filled with, with a lot of daunting opponents, but Penn State took care of business in very impressive fashion. Now, of course, they opened Big Ten play with a tough win in a hostile environment. So, again, Penn State stood out for me. Michigan guys going on the road. 
uh, in the tough environment of Purdue, dealing with the heat and pulling out a win. I, I tell you what, is there a better defense in the Big Ten than what Michigan has? So off the top of my head, those are, I think, the two big uh, big headline takes from that last weekend. Rob, how about you? You're going to expand it to a national scope, but um, obviously some, some major games from the Big Ten as well. So what stood out to you about this last weekend in college football? Yeah, yeah, yeah um, you know, I, I agree with you. Know, Michigan holding Purdue to 10 yards and one first down in the second half and, and winning in the non-air-conditioned uh, situation in West Lafayette. So tragic they couldn't play without air conditioning here, able to survive <laughs> that. I, I find that ridiculous. Um, you know, Barkley, you know, the, the numbers uh, were spectacular, the 358 all-purpose yards, but he also gave us that Heisman moment, that leap. You know, everybody needs something. Uh, Lamar had that leap in Syracuse right around the same time last season, and, and people get galvanized by those moments, and, uh, and, and the television outlets will sit there and keep putting that on loop, and, and the voters are going to remember that and just ooh and on. Um, I, I think he has bolted up there. I think Baker Mayfield is, is still within striking distance, and Mayfield will have some opportunities as the course of the season goes on to try, try and catch up, but I believe uh, it is, it is Barkley, but, you know, more on the national scene, you know, it was, I, I called it upset slash almost upset Saturday. You know, you had Oklahoma on the road struggling with a winless Baylor team. Clemson uh, got into the fourth quarter, tied with Boston College. Um, you know, you had TCU going on the road <clears throat> and really shattering Oklahoma State the way they did it. Uh, really surprised people. FSU, first 0-2 start since 89. Alabama mauling Bandy. Um, yeah, I, I think this week is going to be really difficult to live up to what happened last week, not just in the Big Ten, but the national scope uh, as well. But but the beauty is, like, every time there's one of those weeks, um, Alex, where we say, oh, this is the Saturday that maybe I'll, 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 run, to, uh, I'll run to Lowe's and Home Depot and, and do a little work around the house, or I'll, I'll spend some extra time with the kids, something happens, and you're like, hold on, everybody, I'll, I'll get to you in a moment. I need to watch this game that I did not think was going to be relevant, that I did not think was going to care. Um, and, and I think, like, a Maryland-Minnesota might be that game uh, this week for, for various reasons. But, again, uh, it's so easy to love this sport because uh, every Saturday matters, and, and every Friday night, every once in a while, in the Big Ten matters as well. Yeah, and we saw it a couple weeks ago, Rob. I think a good example of that was uh, Texas-USC. We didn't think that was going to be a great game, and it ended up being maybe the game of the year. Getting back to uh, – Saquon Barkley a little bit we mentioned it a little bit already everyone's primary takeaway from that game was how special he was um you know he kind of looked like a like a cyborg out there hurdling guys cutting stopping on a dime I mean he put a great defender like Josie Jewell in Iowa who who had a great game otherwise he put him on skates a few times so Rob my question to you is and you touched on it a little bit already uh for a national audience like how important is it for people that might not be as familiar with the Big Ten to see a performance like that in prime time in order to kind of legitimize that Heisman hype train? Well, I got to say this, Alex. I don't know who's not familiar with the Big Ten in college football. I mean, you, the, the Big Ten is, you know, essentially the preeminent conference. It's there. I think everybody is aware of it, and, and Penn State is a national brand as well. But um, I, I do think there is something a little bit different, a little bit special doing it under the lights. Um, a prime time audience is great and all, um, but in the pressure-packed situation that he did it uh, with a game that really was a rock fight early on at 5 nothing, um, and the fact that he's doing it not just running but also receiving, um, that when his team needs him, he's there even um, when he's not touching the ball in that final play, you know, making it making a critical block. Um, but for me, uh, you got to have those moments. And it's that leap that I think everybody's going to go back to and, and see it and replay it and have that in their conscience that this is a guy who's different, who's different than the rest, who's better than the rest, um, and here's your three-second that proves it. And his coach, you know, is all on board as well. So, so Franklin is, is driving that, that hype train, and, and that's early. Um, and it's important. You know, here we are in, in late September to – you know, get a lead in the Heisman race is nice, but look, we all know where Penn State's focus is. It goes well beyond the Heisman. Uh, this is a team that they know should be playing uh, in the semifinals. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Jay, Ray, 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 real quick, as much as as much love as I love to give Saquon too, I, I want to just remember that 
this thing is going to come down for him to about a month from now, back-to-back games, Michigan and at Ohio State. So it's going to be really fun to see how he performs in the two biggest games of the year that, 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 are, that everybody has to serve on Penn State's schedule right now. Yeah, and Tom, um, you know, Penn State and Saquon Barkley have gotten a good chunk of the glory, obviously because they won on that last second play, but I don't think we should let Iowa's even get overshadowed here. They were one play and four seconds away from knocking off the number four team in the country, and it was that, you know, that, that Kinnick Stadium magic once again that, that we've seen so often over the, uh, over the years. So, Tom, I know you've been impressed with Penn State all along, but is there anything that jumps out to you as concerning that they didn't pull away from a, an, an unranked team, or do they need to clean anything up, or was it more credit to Iowa for how they handled that game? No, I mean, if you look at the stats of that game, you look at the scores that was going on, you kept scratching your head wondering, how in the heck is Iowa still in this game? I mean, Penn State dominated statistically every aspect of that ball game. Um, but, again, Iowa made, made some key plays at key moments to, to keep themselves in it. So, again, I don't see any, any real, uh, I guess, Achilles heel at this point or a big area of concern if you're Penn State. just want to stay focused from week to week. Um, you know, we all know the perils of going on the road or wherever you go to play a ball game. So they have to stay focused, not get ahead of themselves. You know, James Franklin loves to always focus on the next game, the next game, the next game. And, and that's going to be the big thing is not getting too big of a head, staying focused. And, uh, and again, I'm just trying to take every foe and uh, every next game that's the biggest of the year. Yeah, we'll move on uh, to another Big Ten game this past weekend. Uh, it, was on, it was on your network, Rob, on Fox, and that's uh, Michigan-Purdue. And Purdue honestly looked like they belonged for about three quarters out there, then uh, then kind of ran out of gas as teams do against uh, superior opponents. And and I don't think any Boilermakers fan can really be mad at that result. But we did see a couple of interesting storylines emerge in the wake of that game. One was on the field, one was off. And the on-field one, essentially Michigan's offense was scuffling as it has for most of the season so far. Uh, then Wilton Spate went down with an injury, their quarterback, and the backup John O'Corn ignited the offense and Michigan kind of pulled away. So we talked about quarterback controversies already at Illinois, uh, Rob. Do you believe that there's a legitimate QB controversy here, and do you think that O'Corn should get the nod? Well, uh, will we ever know? I mean, we, we don't get too deep. We, we don't know, um, you know the soft tissue issue to Wilton State, so that's the way Harlow likes to do things, keep things close to the vest and uh, not let us create a quarterback controversy because we have no information. We have nothing really to talk about. Um, I think he he clearly believes that Wilton Spate is his guy. You know, he had that great start to his career coming out nine and zero, and then the numbers became a little middling. But he he stuck with him, and to me that that shows a sign that there's a reason he, he's still hanging with Wilton Spate. I, I look, I know a lot of Michigan fans, uh, and they're, they're probably like a lot of Illinois fans right now. They want the backup in, uh, and and when you get a taste of it and it tastes good, you want a little bit more. Plus, it's nice when that backup is a senior who's got some experience. I don't think it's a quarterback issue, and I guarantee you Harbaugh will not allow it to become one um, clearly outside of the locker room. I don't think he's going to let the national narrative take it over um, either. But it, it, it is a concern for a team uh, that is as good as they are, ranked as high as they are. Uh, you do get the sense that they they need more from their offense. Look, having Tariq Black out as well doesn't help much with the passing game. Uh, but as long as that defense keeps putting up the numbers, you know that, that Tom was talking about, it's it, it's a, it's a tough team to overlook. Uh, and, and those second half numbers, they just shut down Purdue, over twelve on third down in the, the whole game. Um, but it, I, I do want to give Purdue some love because I feel like I've seen them about three times already this season, um, and and that's a good thing. Sometimes in, in television we get stuck with teams just the way it, uh, the schedule happens. But Purdue, we're, I don't feel stuck with. I, I, I enjoyed watching them. Um, you know, outside of what happened in the, in the second half last week, this is a program that is clearly on the rise. You know, they've got the fan base uh, re-energized. You know, finally a, a sellout at Ross A the first time since Tillman's last game in, in 08. They're getting points early on. they got a, a quarterback who um, I, I get the sense, Tom, at least has really matured and, and, and grown up and calmed down and makes better decisions. And frankly, you know, if I'm the athletic department, Tom, I'm going to Jeff Robb and I'm trying to renegotiate his deal right now <laughs> because people are going to be coming after him because he has really turned around all elements of this program in, in such a brief time. 
And think about this, Rob. The four years, the four years prior to this, Purdue won a combined nine games. And, uh, again, they've already had, what, two this year. And if you look at their schedule, guys, I mean, this is, this is really pie-in-the-sky optimism. But if you look at the rest of the schedule, there's a chance they could win six games still or remain on the schedule. <laughs> so, again, it may not happen. It may happen. Who knows? But to Rob's point, just the fact that he's flipped the script in less than a year this dramatically and it has generated this type of interest and this type of hope for what's been a moribund program for over a decade now. Uh, phenomenal. Not a lot of talent there, guys. But, again, um, coaching matters, and I think Jeff Brown's arrival there has, has shown that. You know, to the point about the quarterbacks, we talked about the injury situation in Michigan. Keep your eye on, on Purdue, too, fellas. David Blau got hurt late in that game, hurt his right shoulder again. Of course, they're being a little secretive about his status. They're off this week, come back the next week to play Minnesota at home in a big game. So, again, keep your eye on David Blau, monitor that the next couple weeks. I think they'd be okay if Elijah Simmons, the guy that's still Blau. We've seen him under center. He's played a lot of football and is awfully accurate and awfully savvy. Yeah, and uh, speaking of Purdue, another storyline that didn't come out until the uh, coaches' press conference on Monday was the facilities issue at Purdue that Jim Harbaugh spoke on. Um, it was like everyone knows, ninety degrees in West Lafayette that day. It was a hot day. Tom, you know those facilities better than most, being an alum and being being there a lot. Um, I don't know about the the gripe that there was no expansive medical care on site for the injured players, but I mean, I do have to agree with the issue of a basic standard of care, you know, that, that opponents should um, at least get that, that basic standard. So, so, Tom, what are the facilities really like on the ground there, and uh, does Harbaugh have a point? Well, again, they've got the, the X-ray facilities at the student hospital, which is about a block or two from Ross Age Stadium. It's, kind of like it's a, it's a five-mile drive to the hospital to go get X-rays uh, at this point. So there's that. And as far as the AC goes, I can't imagine any visitors' locker rooms or, or air conditioning, number one. You know, number two, uh, who could have anticipated a 90-plus degree day in mid to late September in West Lafayette? Number three, soon after Harbaugh went on his rant, pretty issued a statement that said a representative from Michigan turned the facilities over the summer, knew the knew the conditions, knew the circumstances, knew the setup and the amenities. Pretty offered, say, hey, if you know, if you want AC, some type of temporary AC, we can give it. Never heard a peep from Michigan. So again. There's all that, and I guess I'm just not a big fan of, of using, you know, your podium time to denigrate a, a fellow Big Ten university. But there's handles in more proper ways, more professional ways to handle this stuff. And, uh, again, I just pointed Jim Harbaugh about the watchdog of all things Big Ten. So, again, uh, I just say take care of your own house, worry about yourself, and, uh, and if you really have a beef, I think there's other ways to do it instead of doing it publicly. Rob, what do you think? I couldn't agree more. I think it was very weak and non-necessary. Uh, and also, you know, I, I just feel like as a nation, we need to get a little tougher, get a little stronger. And, you know, we're complaining about things like air conditioning when, you know, uh, Puerto Rico has, has nothing right now. Um, you know, I deal a lot in soccer, and my friends tell me about some of the places that they go to for national team games, for World Cup games, where, um, you know, your, your locker room is underneath the stadium, um, and all you hear is the stadium, and there is no air conditioning. You're lucky you bring in a fan. Uh, you're lucky to get, like, one or two operating urinals or toilets and, and you know, three shower heads that have nothing but cold or brown water. I'm like, those are really bad situations. This, this is not too bad. Look, they had their, their coach cruiser outside, right? They had the option to go sit in the bus and, and cool off. And, and, look, I don't want anybody to become ill due to heat and, and things like that. And we all realize, you know, the stress that this sport puts on these, these young student athletes. But in the end, I, I think it, it comes off very petty, uh, about something like this to the open public. And, and Tom, you're, you're spot on. There are better channels to do this. If you're unhappy with it, talk to your AD, talk to your president. They know who to speak to. They can resolve these things. But Michigan had the opportunity, as you mentioned, to, to sort it out ahead of time. They elected not to, and now they're going to complain about it. It looks soft. Could you imagine Michigan lost the game? I mean, I, I can imagine the outrage Harbaugh would have had then. So, again, I always, say just, I always say just look in the mirror. Everything in life, just look in the mirror 
Most every problem in life is, is self-generated. Just take care of yourself. Take care of your team. And, uh, and we're not, don't worry about anything else. Like you said, Robert, it comes off as sort of petty. And uh, I always, I always like to think about excuses, too. Everybody's always looking for an excuse. You know, Ohio State lost, of course, was the referee's, referee's you know, problem last year, right? And if they lost that game to Purdue, it would have been Purdue's fault, Purdue's facility's fault. Um, never, never looking inward for solutions. Yeah, and I mean, it's not the first time, obviously, that Jim Harbaugh's spoken out and made headlines, and it probably won't be the last. So we'll continue following him and uh, continue monitoring it. Let's move on to uh, Michigan's rival, Ohio State. Not much to be said about their game this past weekend. It was a blowout, but uh, the blowout meant that backup quarterback Dwayne Haskins got a uh, got a good look of extended time. He actually threw 17 balls on Saturday, so that's a pretty good sample size to work from. And we all know the concerns that Ohio State fans have had with JT Barrett. So, Tom, I'm interested in your thoughts. Uh, what Haskins? Would you think Haskins, uh, you know, accomplished on Saturday? Is there any intensification to that discussion? And if there's not, is Ohio State in good hands, regardless of the quarterback situation, beyond JT Barrett once he graduates this year? Oh, the numbers look great uh, when you look at what Haskins did Saturday. Um, but then go look at the opponent, um, UNLV, and that, that sort of taints um, any, any glorious or glamorous numbers that anybody for Ohio State racked up last week. Um, but, again, I'm not going to take away what he accomplished. He flashed some potential, but it did, it did nothing to, to do anything in the status of J.T. Barrett. I think that's pure folly. Uh, Barrett's the guy from here on out for Ohio State, no matter what he does the rest of the year. And, again, he's a great leader. He's played a lot of football, and um, you need to do five TD passes as well. But, again, Haskins needs to get fans a little glimpse of the future, but I wouldn't read too much in regarding numbers he put up on Saturday. I think that that would give the coaches any pause to consider playing him over, over JT. All right, and um, we'll move on. Since we have our national guy here, Rob, we do want to talk. Uh, we do want to open up to a national broader scope a little bit here. We had some interesting games this past weekend, and I call them a couple of statement games. First of all, Georgia – put a whooping on Mississippi State, and um, TCU, I think, made a statement. Oklahoma State was kind of the sexy team, and TCU, you know, took them down, and it, it wasn't really that close. So, Rob, what did you see outside of the Big Ten this weekend, um, and do you think that Georgia maybe could could challenge Alabama in the SEC? Yes, absolutely. I, you know, I think Alabama's got such a soft schedule that the SEC is really – Really down right now. I just see Bama kind of cakewalking their way through the next couple weeks, really. And I think Georgia is really the lone threat right now in the SEC. Um, big picture-wise, you know, I, I've always been an upset guy, so I, I love to see the little guy. I love to see TCU kind of get their program back on track. Uh, it bummed me out against Oklahoma State because I was really looking forward to the potential of a, of a a few unbeatens at Bedlam earlier this season. Um, Mason Rudolph with his numbers, which were Heisman-worthy. Uh, and it's just kind of one of those weird days um, that, that we seem to experience every once in a while from Oklahoma State with some odd play calling. And, and you really don't understand what happened to them that day because that's not the team that you had really been uh, seeing. But I think in the end, um, you know, you had a couple Big Ten programs continue to improve their stock in Michigan and Penn State. You had um, USC, which continues to entertain and will do so this Friday night, a great game at Washington State coming up for them. Um, Clemson getting by, um, but I think everybody is just kind of chasing chasing Alabama right now, but there's nothing they can really do to catch up to them. Uh, I think everybody's just really battling for those three remaining. I can't believe I'm talking playoffs already, but battling for those three remaining playoff spots. But again, you know that's why we're playing here. That's 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 where we're at. And we're the beauty is we're, we're not in that who of the one loss team uh, bracket gets there right now, and, and that'll probably be coming in um, the, the coming months. But right now, I think we could all be very content with four to five unbeaten that belong. Um, in the playoffs. Absolutely, and kind of staying zoomed out, staying big picture here, we're going to do our uh, weekly segment, Stock. Uh, it's called Whose Stock is Sliding, Who's is Soaring. We start in the Big Ten with Tom Deanhart. Um, Tom, give me a team whose stock is soaring first. Might have already talked about him, but uh, regardless, 
Who's on the uh, on the come up in the Big Ten? You know, uh, I know I threw a lot of roses at the feet of Penn State already, and uh, we talked a bit about Michigan. I, I guess I have to say Michigan, you know. I'm, I'm going to go back to the Wolverines. Um, you know, Rob talked about that defense, too. Uh, my goodness. Uh, you only had one starter coming back from last year's unit. It looks, it looks like a veteran unit to me, chock full of future NFL players. Devin Bush, guys, uh, probably the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year so far. Spectacular. You got that defense. I don't care if it's O'Connor Spade. Is there really that much of a difference between those two guys? I mean, come on. They're basically the same quarterback. It's not like night and day. So they have their, 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 their sort of pedestrian game manager quarterback. I think those playmakers at wide receiver will continue to come on. Tight ends were good last week, didn't they? Zach Gentry especially. And they, they got a nice wealth of, uh, of depth of running back, too. So I like Michigan for their for a, sort of a stock rising team this year, uh, this week in the conference. Tom, we saw uh, a couple teams take unquestionable steps back. One was just poor play on the field. Michigan State didn't look great against Notre Dame and, and uh, got the break speed off them. And Maryland, you know, by really no fault of their own, they had another devastating injury to a quarterback. Kasim Hill's now out for the year with a torn ACL. So those are two teams that, you know, I look at as their stocks are uh, are sliding and, and Maryland's might not be able to get to improve the rest of the year. Michigan State, we'll have to wait and see. But, Tom, uh, do you have any other teams that, uh, you know, regressed last week or were those those two the main ones? Yeah, no doubt. Doesn't that fifty-one to forty-one Maryland win to Texas seem like about a hundred years ago now? Sure um, does. Seems like all this, all the schemes already come out of, of Maryland, unfortunately. Um, yeah, and like you said, Michigan State too. I was waiting to see them play the Irish to find out what they were all about, and didn't look too good on Saturday uh, at home against the Irish. Um, you know those uh, those teams, their, their stocks probably sliding the most of anybody in the league at this point. Um, several teams were off last week. You know, I think the jury's still on Nebraska. We talked a little bit about them off the top. Uh, you know, this is the kind of game, you hate to say a game in late September is a must-win, but, um, I mean, golly, guys, can Nebraska really afford to go to Champaign, Illinois, and get beat? I mean, again, so uh, you hate to put that type of pressure, expectations on a game this early in the year still, but I think that's what Nebraska's facing if they lose should they lose Friday night to Illinois? But things are really going to get interesting in mm-hmm. Lincoln the rest of the year. Absolutely. And, Rob, we'll open it up again to a national scale for you. Feel free to uh, pick Big Ten teams. But give me one team whose stock is soaring and, and one who's sliding. I tell you what, I'm, I'm disappointed in both you guys. Nobody's rowing the boat on this podcast. Are you kidding me? <laughs> T.J. Fleck. I mean, look, T.J. And, 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 and the boat guys in Minnesota are going to go to 4-0 this week. They're going to take care of Maryland. At home, they beat, you know, not a great Oregon State team last weekend, but, but they're putting up offensive numbers. Um, you know, Connor Rhoda is, is the QB right now, but, you know, he, he needs to be a little more efficient. They're number one in the nation in scoring defense. They've allowed 24 points. I don't care who's on your schedule. Still allowing 24 points total um, is it, really impressive. So I, I think they're clearly a program on the rise. Um, and if, if you're going national picture, uh, I've got a couple, and I, I mentioned early on, I, I do like the underdog. Um, I love the fact that Texas Tech is on a four-game winning streak right now. They're getting some AP votes. They're unbeaten. They host Oklahoma State uh, this weekend. I find that one interesting. And then uh, the two teams that sit next to each other in the AP poll, USF and San Diego State. Uh, South Florida, the Bulls, 30 points at least in 21 straight games. That's a lot of points. Uh, but it's the team right below them at number 19, San Diego State, that finds themselves um, essentially favored in probably every game left. And they're putting themselves in position for a big money bowl game. They're 4-0 for the first time in 36 years. And they've got uh, a talented running back that more and more people are starting to figure out about if you're able to stay up past your bedtime and watch them. And Rashad Penny, 179 yards last um uh, he's averaging for the season second in the nation. Um, this is San Diego State team. I love it when they do well. And I don't know how they keep getting these running backs, Tom, that just put up these yeah. staggering numbers, but they, they've got some type of pipeline. They need to keep riding it. Yeah, San Diego State and USF, oh. those are two teams that, like you said, could, could run the table and end up uh, playing on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Um, Absolutely. Rob, and also, hey, yeah, i got to hey, point yeah, out, yeah, i, I got to point out that uh, – Tom Israel on the boat. He ran along Lakeshore Drive here in Chicago for Media Day with PJ oh, Fleck. Good. So, 
I want to right, say good, PJ. Good. I want to say PJ for you, Rob. Hey, I gotta ask guys. Texas Tech, Oklahoma State. Who's got the better hair, Cliff Kingsbury or Mike Gundy? You want to talk about a battle of the pretty boys? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, let me tell you. Let me tell you that mullet. That mullet grows at an incredible rate. It's strong. A lot of thinks it. it. It's a strong mullet game. I mean, there there is all kind of party in the back. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I love the look. I like the swagger of of Kingsbury of, of Cliff when oh, he yeah. comes in. I mean, he's dressed up. He's got the glasses. He's got the duds on. You know, I, I, I want my kid to play for him. You know, I, my, you know the mama, the mamas probably want to want their kid to play for him too, so they can just go look at him every week. Um, <laughs> just, but, just too bad he's stuck in love. He should be in New York, real life. Damn straight, but that mullet is the mullet game is strong now. It's really strong, and it's to the point where I, I think Gunny just he's like, I don't care anymore. Let's do it. Let let's just let it grow out and see how long. So pretty soon, I think he's going to come in with a braid, and that's that's where I'm going to lose him. But until then. We're all good with the mullet. <laughs> yeah, Gundy, that's the uh, that's the Arkansas waterfall. That's what they call that hairstyle, right? <laughs> that's beautiful. He, he's got he's got a million Billy Ray Cyrus from like what nineteen ninety to like the coin flip. Sometimes All right, guys. So since we're uh, since we're focused on some lighter topics here, I, I do want to ask Rob and get his thoughts on a, a more fan focused football topic. Doesn't doesn't really have anything to do with uh, the games on the field, but one I'm kind of interested in and been thinking about nonetheless. Um, Rob, you're based out of L.A., and you're in New York City at this moment. And I just want to ask about the idea of your, your thoughts on college football in like major cities that, that might not be college football towns. I think L.A. is known as a college football town with USC and UCLA. New York City, not so much, but we obviously saw um, you know, college game day there this past weekend, and, and there was some backlash for that because people are like, people don't realize, I guess, that there's college football fans in New York City. So I just want to get your thoughts on, you know, how the difference between college football in a place like New York City, maybe Loop Chicago in there as well, and then compare that to L.A. as opposed to, you know, these small college football towns where every seven Saturdays a year it's, it's the biggest dates on the calendar. Look, college game day could go to Hong Kong and they'd get a great turnout because college football <laughs> fans are everywhere. And I think it's, it was really small-minded for people to think that it was a bad idea to come to New York. Are you kidding You come to the biggest city in the country, and this place is teeming with college uh, kids, you know, kids right out of school um, that still have these unbelievably tight allegiances to their university and to their football program. And, you know, you go to any big city um, really around the world, but, you know, we'll just say here in the United States, and, Look, there's, there's a Nebraska bar on the west side, and there's the Illinois bar here, and there's the Northwestern bar here. Hell, there's even Colgate bars. I can go to a Colgate bar, and I can watch my football team and my hockey team play if I want. So that happens everywhere. And college football, just because Columbia is not a name program and, and Rutgers has had their struggles and they want to try and be New York's team, it doesn't mean that college football isn't here in New York. It doesn't mean that it's not in L.A. Look, I, I, I'm an East Coast guy. I grew up in Connecticut, um, and I've been in L.A. for the last five-plus years. But I know that uh, all across that, that great city, you can find your football team. Look, there, there's, there's a lot of Big Ten love in L.A., trust me. Um, and there's plenty of USC and UCLA activities out there. I, I thought it was a, a sage move, a brave move, and um, frankly, an overdue move to bring, uh, you know, my competitor, my old, my old network, my old family game day to, to come to New York. I thought it was a really intelligent thing to do. And, uh, I, I would like to see them, you know, t- take it to some of these other odd locations. Cause that's the beauty of college football. You can find it, find it everywhere. In fact, those are the times I really get juiced up with what they're doing with game days is when they take it somewhere besides mm-hmm. Tuscaloosa. Uh, or, or Baton Rouge or Columbus, you know, give it, take it to somewhere else um, that doesn't get the TLC week in and week out for college yep. football. You'll get it out to get it out to Wazoo sometime for crying out loud. Agreed. I'm trying. Yeah, to... It's fun. Like when we, when, we, when we went to Fargo, was fun too. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I'm trying to get the message out here because you know, being in Chicago, I'm, I'm sure Northwestern Illinois would like for their footprint to be bigger in this city as far as success goes, but. It feels like a college football town because every Saturday, Rob, you mentioned, you know, every bar is, is lined up with a school and everyone's got their college football swag on pretty much walking around in the streets and all these young alumni are everywhere. 
So it does feel on Saturdays like a college football town, just to a, just a different kind of college football town. So I thought it was cool as well to, you know, go to another major alumni market like New York City and, um, you know, bring the college football fans out. Moving on, uh, we got to look ahead to week five because we talked a lot about week four before we wrap up here. Tom, I'll start with you um, in the Big Ten. Which games stand out to you on the Big Ten slate? I know we got a big battle in the West coming up with Northwestern, Northwestern yeah. Wisconsin, and, um, and then a cross-division battle, Iowa and Michigan State. What are you looking for in the Big Ten this week and uh, in those two games in particular? Yeah, those are the two biggies, Alex. And, again, uh, the Northwestern at Wisconsin game, I think, is the headliner this week. Um, each team was off, had to buy extra prep time for this big game. It's going to really set the table for that chase in the Big Ten West. Everybody made a prediction in July and August in the Big Ten had pretty much had uh, Wisconsin win in the West. So here we go. This is going to be a good lid lifter for them with Northwestern coming into Madison. Uh, you know, Wildcats won the last time they were up there. <clears throat> And uh, they, they, they got a heck of a running game. They're running back with Justin Jackson. The defense is underrated. They won't be intimidated. So, again, um, this is a chance for Northwestern to really show that hey, maybe it can be a dark horse in the Big Ten because that's a team that a lot of people thought could maybe be Wisconsin's biggest competitor to win the West. I think Iowa's maybe jumped Northwestern at this point. But, guys, again, Northwestern with bad net loss to Duke a few weeks ago. But I tell you what, if they go into Madison and steal that win, um, Maybe that's the team that, that does win the West. Like, can you imagine Northwestern Wildcats playing in Indianapolis for the Big Ten Championship in December? Tom, i got to be honest. I don't see it. I think Wisconsin's going to roll this weekend. Um, I agree that Iowa probably has jumped Northwestern as the the challenger, I guess, in the West, but I think Wisconsin's probably just going to be too good. Um, and I, to me, I guess it feels like in that Iowa-Michigan State matchup, Iowa needs to avoid – both teams really need to, um, you know, kind of set the path for the season here. Iowa needs to avoid that letdown. And Michigan State has to reestablish some sort of that good mojo they had because you, you want to avoid a collapse like last season where things really just went off the rails. Uh, Rob, what are you looking for this weekend? Uh, once again, we'll open it up. Feel free to pick a Big Ten matchup, but, but what are you looking forward to in Week 5 of college football? Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, the USC Friday night game. Uh, out, out at Wazoo and, and taking on Washington State and Luke Falk and company just, I mean, just keep swinging around, you know, Falk, you know, he throws 478 and five touchdowns last week in versus Nevada. And it's, these are like numbers we've just grown so accustomed to that they just roll off. It's like, oh, it's just 478 and five. No big deal. It's, it's Luke Falk and it's Washington State and it's what they do. But Washington State is, is showing they can actually run the ball every once in a while. Uh, USC is a fascinating tale this season in that they've managed to win in just about every category. Um, you know, this bizarro start with Western Michigan, this rebound versus um, Stanford, the, the drum of the win over Texas, the struggles with Cal on the road, uh, but they keep getting it done. And, and, you know, they don't have a bye this week, or I'm sorry, this year, which is a fascinating undercurrent. Uh, to how they're going to kind of survive the campaign. And then the other big one is is Clemson off the real ho-hum type game, and that, that's to be expected every once in a while. Uh, but they're rushing attack, heading to Blacksburg. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a game uh, at Virginia Tech, but their pregame is, is one of the best in the business when Enter Sandman blasts and, and the crowd. It's such a, it's such a steep stadium, um, and, you, and you get a team like Clemson coming in town, maybe a little bit of revenge uh, on the Hokies' minds. I think those are the two big national games that I'm really curious to see how it plays out because two of those teams right now are are in uh, real thick contention to be in the national playoffs. Yeah, I knew Washington. One other one, hey, 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 real quick, one other one, Georgia at Tennessee. And we talked about the Bulldogs you did earlier, Rob, about maybe being the second-best team in the SEC. They go on the road to a Tennessee team that, frankly, guys, has really left a lot to be desired under Butch Jones, maybe some pressure building on him in Knoxville. Um, again, a big rivalry game, and that's going to be fun to see if the Bulldogs can go into Knoxville and, and you know, have another win and just further validate themselves this year. Yeah, Butch Jones another guy kind of having a he, meltdown at the podium. Uh, Tom, Tom, in the old day, you could say that. But Tennessee is horrible this year. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know they lost the road in Knoxville. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. And I, I want to like the game too, but 
look, I, I, they got lucky versus Virginia Tech or Georgia Tech to open up the season. They, they yeah. lost to a Florida team that we think is overrated. They beat UMass by four points. I, I mean, Colgate yeah. could beat UMass by four points. Well, what are we doing here, Tennessee? And I, I, I get tired of giving love to programs that no longer deserve it. Uh, and right now, Tennessee needs to earn my love back. And, and yes, a victory over a, a Georgia team that I think we all respect. Uh, would go a long way, but right now Tennessee is sliding, sliding hard, and they are not musty TV. Right. So Rob, hey, I'm Rob. I, I gotta ask, you having a Donna Foil replica jersey? Ah, good man. Tom, I knew I liked you. Yeah, you know, I got out of Colgate just before a Donald Foil came in okay. and, and ruled the ruled the Patriot League. So I did play by play basketball for Colgate when we were the worst team in the nation, not the Patriot League. <laughs> but the nation, and I called all their games. Yeah, I was by myself at Holy Cross calling Colgate Holy Cross basketball. <laughs> it was it was rough sledding, but, boy, we don't so want to Look at you. So what you're saying is you, you burn your stripes. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And look, look at you now, Rob. And, and you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned Washington State. I, I, I realized they were a team out west making moves, but I, I looked up this week, and all of a sudden they're ranked number 16 in the country, and I just kind of – you know, had that moment where I was like, huh, I didn't, I didn't realize they were, um, you know, that far along in their progression under Mike Leach. Mike Leach is a guy, the head coach out at, out at Wazoo, is a guy who uh, is, is not shy about speaking his mind and making headlines. And I know, Tom, you've covered him, and I know, I know you're familiar with him as well, Rob. I just want to hear your guys' uh, best Mike Leach stories. Tom, we'll start with you. Well, I went out there like in 2008 to do a story with him in Lubbock, and first of all, he kept me waiting about an hour. In the, in, the, in the outside of his office, which is okay. And then he always heard all the stories about the Pirates. And sure enough, you walk in his office, guys, and he had a full-blown pirate mannequin there in his office right by his desk. So, again, he always had that big affinity for, for all things uh, Pirates. And, uh, and again, just an interesting, fascinating guy who you can sit and talk to and get off on all these strange tangents. And, and you know what? It's kind of a breath of fresh air. We get so many stereotypical college coaches who gets so wound in and coach speak. In some ways, it's kind of refreshing to, to talk to a guy like Leach who's so well-versed on just a wide variety of subjects. Yeah, Rob, you got any uh, Mike Leach stories? And if not if not personal ones, do you have any just moments from afar? Well, it, it, he's the kind of guy that uh, you get excited to cover because he's got kind of this gruffness to him. But... He's really open and honest and sincere and, and pretty laid back and uh, is not afraid to say what's on his, on his mind. Um, and he'll provide that for you every week. I just had uh, this quote that was sent to me, and this is, this is him just this, like every week, right, Tom? He's going to give you gold yeah. uh, in the media. Like, <laughs> it must be so great to cover him on a, on a weekly, daily basis because you just know he's going to provide you with something something to go with. So, you know, he's talking about the distractions of, of this Friday night home game with USC, and he's like, uh, you always wonder, you don't, you don't want them to listen to the outside, outside noise, the outside noise, regardless who it is, not just the media. Look, I've got a pile of relatives and friends that are experts on every football game I've ever been involved in, and I'm sure these guys hear it from girlfriends, English teachers, and the guy at the coffee shop on campus or whatever, they have to have the, the discipline to shut that out. He gets it. He knows it. He says it in a way that we want to hear it, uh, and he's spot on. And guess what? His teams are really fun to watch, um, and this year they started strong. They didn't have that bizarro loss to kick off a campaign, which had them digging out of that early hole. Uh, they are flying right now, and uh, that place should be absolutely pumped Friday night. All right, guys, we're going to wrap up here in a second, but we'll have a little more fun before we do. We always, uh, on, on these episodes, we, we get to our – one big moment of, of the previous week, and um, it's basically just something we saw that was either cool or wacky or something unique that stood out in the past week of college football. So I'm going to start, and I'm sure you guys both saw it scrolling along your timelines at some point in the past few days, but I'm going to go with the touchdown squirrel at Louisville because the squirrel um, <laughs> you know, did not break stride, unlike my beloved Chicago Bears player Marcus Cooper, who... who got lazy and stopped before the end zone and thought he was in the end zone and got caught from behind. The squirrel uh, made it all the way to the end zone before taking a well-deserved rest. So that was the coolest thing I saw this weekend, the touchdown squirrel down in Louisville. Tom, do you see anything uh, anything from college football that was 
uh, unique or or wacky like a, a touchdown <laughs> squirrel? Yeah, not nothing that be uh, I guess America's funniest video type uh, type unique. Um, yeah, just just uh, just the Barkley thing went over 300 yards of all purpose uh, all purpose yardage was. I know it's an on field thing, and uh, but again, that that really stuck in my head. It's just one of those moments you're always going to remember that that the game that uh, the numbers of Barkley put up there in Kinnick Stadium on Saturday night. Yeah, and it can be an on field thing as well, Rob. So I don't want to limit your your choices here, but. What's your big moment you saw this weekend across all of college football? Uh, yeah, for me, um, uh, you know, look, I, I'm a sucker for a good rom-com every once in a while, and uh, I can I can tear up over a bad commercial. Uh, so what Iowa's been doing the last couple weeks um, with the fan base turning around and, and waving to the young young man up in, in his hospital suite, uh, that, stuff, that stuff gets me every time. I, I just... Uh, it, it makes me um, just so proud of our country. It, it makes me proud of Iowa. I love Iowa. You know, people who have never been to Iowa don't get it. And, and Iowa City is a, is a fantastic town to be in. Uh, and I love that there are still mass amounts of people in this world who know the right thing to do when they're not told to do it. Uh, and that simple gesture that they do week in and week out now um, in Iowa City, it, it just it, it hits me in a soft spot every time, and uh, it's just it's another weekly reminder of why I love this country and why I love this sport. Yeah, it never gets old either. I mean, that's something that never you know it's not going to get stale. It was cool also to see under the lights with all the the fans and their their phones Absolutely. when they were waving up yeah. to the up to the patients up there. That was really cool. And I do want to mention one more cool thing that I saw this weekend um, before we sign off here. Not as cool as uh, the Iowa Children's Hospital, but. I did think it was neat to see Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade back in Nebraska. They've been going the last couple of years. That's the ultimate power couple, I think, uh, in the Big Ten. I, I'm, I've yet to see, unless Jay-Z and Beyonce start going to Ohio State or Michigan State games, I don't, I don't think uh, Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade are going to be topped. And it was his last public appearance as a Chicago Bull. So the, uh, the next day, actually, my friend, we were at the Bears game, and my friend saw him at the, the Bears game, and I, I assume he was only in Chicago to negotiate his, his buyout with the Bulls. So I will always remember uh, Dwayne Wade as a, uh, on his last day with the Bulls tailgating and, <laughs> and having fun on the field in, in Lincoln, Nebraska. Well played, well played. <laughs> All right, Rob, we know you got a busy, uh, busy week out there, or busy uh, wrap-up you still got to do with the World Cup, so we'll let you go. Thanks so much for taking the time this morning. It's a lot of fun, and um, I, I feel like Tom and uh, Tom and Rob are, are lifelong friends now that now that Rob now that Tom made that uh, that Colgate reference. <laughs> you got it. Hey, Tom, Alex, thank you guys for having me. I, I hope I get an invite back, but uh, it was an enjoyable to spend some time with you guys today. Absolutely, Rob. Thank Take you care. very much, Rob. You did a great job, buddy. Thanks again to Rob for joining us. And we do have one more podcast segment I mentioned at the top of the show called Stathead, which we'll get to in a moment. It's our discussion with our BTN researcher, Harold Shelton, who will uh, break down some key numbers from previous week and some trends and, and numbers to look for as we get ready for week five here. So definitely stick around for that. But before we do, just a quick reminder one more time to head to the btn.com shop for all your Big Ten gear and apparel. And once again, it's not your run-of-the-mill online shop. They've got stuff the athletes and coaches wear, you know, all that team-branded official apparel. And you can find it at btn.com by clicking the shop tab at the top of the page. Don't forget, you get 10% off your order by using the promo code TAKE10. That's T-A-K-E, the number one and the number zero at checkout. And you'll get 10% off your order of uh, any of the fantastic Big Ten swag that you can find. So now let's get to our stat head segment with BTN researcher Harold Shelton. Sitting here in the BTN studio with researcher Harold Shelton. He's our numbers guru, our facts man. Our stat head, if you will, and he keeps us up to speed each week on the significant stats, scenarios, and everything else you need to know uh, week to week in college football and basketball. 
First of all, what's up, H? Thanks for sitting down with me today. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Uh, always good to talk Big Ten football. Absolutely. Um, for everyone, anyone out there, you can follow Harold on Twitter at BTN Stats Guys. That's a good follow if you are into numbers, analytics, all that good stuff. And Harold recently started doing some digital video shorts for social media, so we're getting the most out of him around here, you know, <laughs> putting him to work. And uh, he goes by the numbers each week for college football. So I, I saw those videos, and I thought it'd be cool to get him here on the podcast each week and uh, give us that insight as part of these uh, football-focused episodes of the podcast. But uh, first, Harold, is kind of an introduction to the audience. Can you just give us an idea of your, your weekly schedule during college football season? What goes into the preparation? What kind of numbers are you researching? And just the general amount of work that goes into each week. Uh, so during football season, it's uh, it's definitely a very, very busy time. Um, I'm in the... I'm in the office Monday through Saturday, and on my day off, quote unquote, uh, I'm actually working. I'm just working from home. Uh, Saturdays are usually our busiest days. You know, I'm usually in around eight or nine o'clock in the morning, and we leave. You know, until once the last game is over after final drive ends, which is usually anywhere from uh, eleven o'clock to midnight. So a nice, you know, fifteen-hour day or so. Um, the workflow itself, we, me and uh, our other researcher, Ernest Tolden, we kind of split up the shows that we do. I usually work on the Big Ten Football and Beyond show every morning while he does BTN Live. So I usually do that Monday through Friday. Uh, we're both in on Saturday. Sunday is used for uh, trying to get notes from the all the games that happen over the weekend possible things we could be talking about uh, during the week and uh, from those games and then looking ahead to the games coming up. Sure, and you send out these weekly stats packs to everyone here. It's a huge help, and um, it's one of the reasons, obviously, that we want to have you on this show each week to dive deeper into the numbers because Tom and I, you know, we can talk about it, you know, talk about football, but, but you know, we don't always, I guess, recognize the we don't have an eye for the stats like like you might. So one thing that stood out to me in the weekly packet that you sent out this week was, and I guess I realized it to an extent while watching the Iowa-Penn State game, but just the discrepancy and the disadvantage that Iowa was at in the box score, yet they were still able to hang around and, and literally came within one play in four seconds of beating Penn State. So can you just get into those numbers a little bit? Yeah, so when you if you just looked at the box score, you didn't see a score, you didn't see the game, you would think Penn State would have won by at least two scores. I mean, Penn State had 306 more yards. They ran nearly 100 plays while Iowa only had 45. Uh, Iowa had the ball for a little over 20 minutes the whole game, and yet Iowa was able to do just enough. They forced a couple of turnovers. Uh, Penn State couldn't really score in the red zone. They got key sacks, key deflections when they needed to, so they just kind of hung around, hung around. Um, and that's kind of what they do. At Kinnick, they're a very, very good defensive team. Um, they're always sound in the front seven. Their front four caused Penn State a lot of problems, and I think that allowed them to hang around. And when your defense can play that well, all it takes is a couple players on offense, and that's usually where Akram Rock. Akram Wiley comes in. Uh, he did the same thing last year against Michigan. He had a big game. And then, you know, he takes two touchdowns to the house in the fourth quarter to get them within <laughs> striking distance to winning it. And, you know, like you said, they were one play away from another huge upset. Right. What's one stat that stood out to you from that game? Um, was it total yards from uh, Penn State as opposed to Iowa? Or what's just one metric that stood out to you? that kind of highlighted that uh, that discrepancy on paper? Uh, for me, it was the plays. I mean, Penn State's a team that they're very explosive in general, so they're usually a team that puts up a ton of, ton of yards and a ton of points. You know, uh, coming into that game, they had scored 30 points in 10 straight games, so that's just something that they normally do. But the fact that Iowa is normally a ball control team, you know, your, your typical pro-style offense – you know, play everything in a phone booth, run the football, play good defense, get off the field. The fact that Iowa only ran 45 plays and Penn State ran 99 was crazy to me because Penn State's usually the, we're going to score fast, we're going to get off the field, and Iowa wants to dictate tempo. They want to run the ball. 
You know, they, they're not a no-huddle team. And so the fact that they were – that they barely had the ball for 20 minutes and ran 54 fewer plays was mind-boggling, especially at home. Like, that's just not something you normally see from an Iowa football team. Yeah, it's absurd that – I mean, that's over twice as many plays that, that one team was able to get off and still, like we mentioned, came down to that last play on fourth down. So Penn State pulled it out. But how about uh, some stats looking ahead to, to week five of college football? What jumps out to you – as we're looking over uh, your thick stat packet here, what what jumps out to you? Um, what are you going to be looking for as you, you know, have your 15-hour day on Saturday? Uh, so we have the, the JT Barrett history watch. It seems like there's always something every week. You know, a couple weeks ago he passed Drew Brees to become, you know, the, the most touchdowns responsible for in Big Ten history. Uh Last week, you know, he throws for five touchdowns in the first half, and Ohio State sets a record for most uh, passing yards and passing touchdowns. And now um, he's like 201 passing yards shy of uh, passing Arch Leister for the most in school history. He's getting ready to pass our own Chuck Long on the uh, Big Ten <laughs> total yardage list. He needs 14 to uh, get 10,000 for his career, and I think it's 269 to pass uh, Chuck. So I'll be looking at that. But more importantly, I'm looking at the Michigan State-Iowa game. You know, both teams coming off of really tough losses. Uh, you know, Iowa on the last play at Michigan State just laying an egg at home. Uh, and over the last 10 years, there has been no matchup that is closer than Michigan State-Iowa. They've had five games decided by three points or fewer or in overtime. They haven't met since the Big Ten Championship game in 2015, right. which was a classic 22 play drive to end the game in the final minute there's always high drama in that so when you put that with the fact that both teams are coming off a loss and both might be desperate that could be a very interesting game yeah it's kind of a reset game for both teams mm-hmm. looking forward to it all right harold that's all i got for you today man um like i said we're gonna hope to bring you on each week as football season rolls along Thanks again to Rob, Tom, and Harold for joining me. There's a ton of good stuff we got to this week, and it was, it was a long episode, so I'm going to wrap up quick here. But I just want to thank Wes White, as always, for producing. Thanks to everyone out there for listening. And we will talk to you next week on the Take 10 Podcast.